Father, you have been so faithful. And God, uh, even as we sing the lyrics to that song, we are reminded of your goodness, uh, your faithfulness in spite of our circumstances. Lord, your faithfulness is not determined by uh, the situations we find ourselves in or, 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 or the, the time and era to which we're living, Lord God, but your faithfulness is defined by who you are, that you are the God of the universe, the creator God who uh, with his breath spoke things into existence, who still to this day is, is in control over everything. And so, Lord God, I pray as we open your word uh, that that same life-giving power that you spoke things into existence would be speaking through your word this morning to our hearts. For your glory, in Jesus' name we pray, uh, amen. Amen. Well, again, church, good morning. Uh, welcome. This is our seventh week of not being together, and I uh, just want to, at the top again, uh, say how much we miss getting together and uh, how much we long just to be back together, but uh, we're so grateful that we can do it this way and, and gather in our homes, and we pray that everybody's well and, and safe. And just uh, by way of announcements, just want to say thank you, uh, church, for uh, your continued generosity. And really, at this time, like at most times, the church is kind of this, this middleman, if you will, um, that, that so many of you have been generous in your benevolence and your giving, and so many of you have reached out to us for need, and we're able to uh, connect those things and, and, and to distribute as those have need. And as we've studied in the book of, of Acts, uh, really finding it fit that we share and have all things in common. So we just want to say thank you. Thank you for your continued generosity. And we know uh, that the weeks ahead and the months ahead and probably uh, even the years ahead uh, there are going to be some uh, uncertainty, and there are times that are going to be really uh, rough for our community, and we're just so thankful that we're part of a tight community who shares the resources uh, faithfully uh, as the Lord has entrusted to us. So again, just want to say uh, thank you, thank you so much, and that we, we deeply miss you. Um, so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts. Uh, this is really going to be a, a two-part series walking through Acts chapter 10, and so the first part today it will kind of have an, an abrupt ending uh, with uh, the story of Cornelius and Peter. So we're actually going to be in Acts 10, 1 through 23, and then we'll do part two uh, of this story uh, next week. And so what we have seen up until this point in the book of Acts is this, that the book of Acts is a continuation of the movement in the kingdom of God breaking forth in the person and work of Jesus Christ, right? The, the gospel of Luke, right? The, Luke, the writer of Acts, um, is also uh, explaining how this movement continues, not just from the physical in the gospel of Luke, but also now through the Holy Spirit moving in the book of Acts. And one of the things we've seen vividly in the book of Acts is this idea of conversion and that, that the Lord is saving and continuing to save. And so Acts chapter 8 verse 1 was kind of this change in the book where uh, persecution came to the church and it was uh, forcibly scattered throughout all of the regions. And so we see Acts 1-8 actually fulfilling, actually playing out that the gospel is going to go to the ends of the earth. And so Acts chapter 10, we are going to see another shift and another change in this vivid picture of the gospel now clearly going, not just to the Jewish people, not just to Samaria or to Ethiopia like we saw with the, the eunuch, but it is now going to all Gentiles. And so this is a, a, a beautiful picture of two conversions, one of salvation by a Gentile named Cornelius that we're going to read about, and two, a conversion of a disciple, Peter. You say, wait, wait, wait a minute, Kyle. Isn't Peter a disciple? Isn't he a believer in Jesus Christ? Absolutely. 
but I want you to see his conversion from legalism to grace. That in Peter, this conversion in Acts 10 looks like a deep-seated prejudice converted to a divinely ordained openness that his call and the gospel's beauty now spreads to all people. You see, Peter at this point still has a little hesitancy to accept those who are not Jewish, those people who are known as Gentiles receiving the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. So let's read Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse one. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Okay, so here's what we see in these first uh, eight verses. We see this Gentile centurion, this Roman centurion soldier named Cornelius, have this collision course with an angel of the Lord. Now, here's what I want you to see in this text, and I hope you picked it up as we read it, that God has been preparing Cornelius for this intersection, right? He has been preparing his heart. Cornelius, we need to understand, was a respected Roman soldier. A centurion was, was, was a Roman military official, and, and really most scholars believe that the centurions were the backbone of the Roman army. They executed most of the discipline, that the success of the regiment was on them, that the reputation of the centurions really overflowed into the reputation of the entire army of Rome. These men were known as, as being very steady, very stable in their personality. They were trained to be this way. And so Cornelius, he's a man of influence. He's a man of authority. His position, his wealth, his charisma, it's, it's all been trained. Yet what we see in these eight verses is yet there was still something in him that he hungered and longed for, specifically that he hungered and longed for God. Did you see it? Look, look back if you have your Bibles, that it said that he feared God. That he, 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 was a, he was a God-fearer. And you say, wait, wait a minute. Cornelius, if he feared God, did he, did he have salvation? Did he, did he understand who the Lord was? And, and that wasn't the case. You see, this would have been an official title of someone who was a Gentile. You see, that, that, that Cornelius would have been what was known as a proselyte of the gate, meaning that he prayed to the God of Israel. He was monotheistic. He, he probably attended the synagogue. However, there were parts to his life that one, he wasn't allowed to do, right? He wasn't allowed because he was uncircumcised to be part of the sacrifices. He, he wasn't allowed in the, in the inner places. He wasn't a true, genuine believer at this point. There was something more that had to take place. But wait, we just read, he, he prayed. He prayed to God, he prayed to, to Yahweh. He gave alms, he was, he was helpful, he, he had fear of God. Surely, surely he was a believer. 
Well, here's point number one. We need to see that being good doesn't save you. I think Acts chapter 10, what Luke is laying out here is a picture of a good man, of a man who understands that there is a God, a man who is sincere in his belief. However, there in the depths of his heart, there is still something missing. And that something missing is going to be explained by Peter in part two next week. But we need to understand that sincerity, morality, goodness don't save us. Because if they did, then there would be no need for Peter to deliver the gospel to Cornelius. We'll hear all the time things like, well, what, what I believe is that if you just sincerely believe in, 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 in a God in, in this way or that way, it, it's really about the sincerity that, that, that saves you. That's not what Acts 10 is saying. That's not what the word of God says as a whole. And interestingly, what we see in the pages of scripture in all of the New Testament, Roman centurion soldiers are almost always painted in a positive light. Think about with Jesus, he interacts um, with a Roman centurion in Capernaum. And it's the story where this Roman centurion soldier, he comes before Jesus and he says, listen, one of my servants is fallen ill. It's, it's, they're sick at my house. Jesus, please, will you heal them? And Jesus says, I'll come to your house and I'll lay my hands on your servant. And the Roman centurion says, no, why would you need to come to my house? Don't do that. Can't you just speak the word and heal them? And Jesus, blown away, says that you, Roman centurion, you have more faith than all of Israel. Or think about the time at the cross where there's this Roman centurion watching Jesus as he breathes his last breath. What does he say? He says, surely this is the son of God. And now here we are again with another Roman centurion soldier, Cornelius, who is on a collision course with grace. A good man, a man who pursues morality, a man who, who is sincere, but whose life is still not been changed by the gospel, but it soon will be. Okay, so now let's shift and we're going to peer into Peter, right? The one who's going to bring the message of the gospel to Cornelius. It says this in verse nine. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. All right. So now we have this shifting scene. We, we left Cornelius. We're now focusing on Peter. And, and, and it is this period of adjustment. And what I want you to see is that God is getting, what God is getting at is he's not changing Peter's diet. He's not changing the Jewish diet, but rather he is trying to change Peter's heart. You see, this is the truth that underlies where Paul writes in Galatians 3, verses 28 and 29. Hear this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So here is the reality of this vision. It is a vision that communicates that the gospel removes boundaries, 
that this is the new covenant, that this is the covenant of the torn veil, that now all have access through Jesus to God the Father, that this is a new day, Peter, that this is new wine that requires a new wineskin. And here's point number two, that the gospel is not about changing rules. So don't hear this vision, don't hear this, this part in Acts 10 and think, okay, so here the rules are kind of changing. No, no, Jesus says that he came to fulfill the law, right? Not to abolish it, not just to rearrange some order, but he came perfectly adhering to every rule, every regulation, dietary and otherwise. And through faith in him, his perfect record applies to us, all these rules and regulations that were meant to show us that we could never stack up wholly and perfectly before God, Jesus does. And so in this vision, God is showing Peter that this is not about your diet. This is about the heart of the gospel and in turn about your heart as a disciple. And hear this church, even as Christ followers, for however long you've been following Jesus, there still is a heart work and an overhaul that the Holy Spirit continues to do. A conversion, if you will, in our hearts. For example, here with Peter, there were prejudices in Peter that were blocking him from being a faithful witness to all nations, to the Gentiles. And this is a question I, I had even when I went through this text. Why didn't the angel, right? The angel who shows up to Cornelius, why didn't he just share the gospel with Cornelius? The angel lays out a plan for Cornelius, but he was already there. Why didn't he, he, he just simply share the, the gospel? Why was it that he's waiting on Peter, right? It seems like a, a, an unneeded detour. And here is the reason. The reason is angels aren't given the, the privilege of proclaiming the gospel. The privilege of proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God is given to us as men and women. There's only one exception in the Bible where an angel proclaims the gospel, and that's found in Revelation chapter 14, where at the end of times, right, this, this eschatological event where an angel proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ, the everlasting gospel, to the whole earth. But up until that point, angels aren't given that perspective and that privilege. How amazing is it that, that what God, the God of the universe, entrusts to us, his people, his disciples, to be the ones who have the privilege to share the gospel. But there's also another reason. There's also another reason that Peter, that God is drawing Peter to come tell Cornelius. It's because God wants to do a deep heart work in Peter. He wants to strip him of the idea and prejudice that the gospel was for the Jewish people only, that he needed to see and share in that the gospel is for all nations, that when Jesus said that in Acts 1-8, he meant it. And so, so oftentimes, uh, what God will do in us is that he will call us uh, to someone or he'll call us to something, not only to see transformation in that person or, or, or in that thing, but the beauty of how Jesus by the Spirit works is often we will go and what will happen is transformation there, yes, but even more deeply transformation in us. We'll show up to serve, but what happens is that we're served more deeply, that the Spirit does a work in us, that we'll show up to proclaim the gospel, to share the gospel with our lips and with our lives. But what happens in turn is that the Spirit moves us in humility toward the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. 
I can remember moments in my life, moments I, I've shared with, with you before. Uh, one that is so vivid for me is, is being at an event in Dallas where literally tens of thousands of homeless people show up for this event. And in one section uh, of this event uh, is that each person who comes in, each homeless friend that comes in, they sit down and you wash their feet you take off their old shoes that are worn and tattered and you give them, you wash their feet and you give them new socks and you give them new shoes. And I can remember going into that event a, a little nervous and something else that you do is you sit there at their feet and, and wash their feet is, is you pray with them, you, 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 you share the gospel uh, with them. And I can remember so vividly that moment of washing literally uh, just, just 30, 40, 50 different people's feet, just, just, just being moved and rocked by the gospel. Here I thought I was there to serve them and, 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 and make their day better, to be the one who delivers the gospel. And God was doing that, yes. But what he was doing is he was moving and wrecking and shaping my heart even more than what he was doing on the person receiving what I was, what I was serving them with. Or those opportunities that we have to go overseas where we go over and travel to Vietnam, places like Vietnam. And if you've been on a short-term mission trip, you understand this, where you you go over thinking that you're going to serve, right? And you do. But what in turn happens is that the Lord wrecks you, that your heart in, in turn explodes with the grace and mercy and worship for our Savior. This is how our God works. And so I, I want us to pause right here. And, and, and just, the, it's not really a question. It's more of, I want you in your living room or whoever you're watching this with is to share a moment like that where you thought you went into a place to serve. You thought you went into a place to, to share the gospel. Um, but yet in turn, the Lord kind of flipped the script, if you will. And so take a moment there and, and share. And then we'll jump back into Acts 10. Welcome back. So back to Acts chapter 
10. So Peter has just had this vision of, of this blanket falling with, with these animals that he is, he's never touched, right? That, that were forbidden by Jewish dietary laws that would make them unclean. And, 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 and the Lord is saying, listen, rise, Peter, kill and eat, right? You, you think his response is going to be, all right, you know, uh, bacon, pork, I can have these things now. Uh, but let's look at Peter's response, verse 14. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time and said, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. All right, so check this out. Peter's response to the Lord showing up saying, listen, all these things I have made clean and common. Peter's response is this, by no means, Lord, um, which could be translated, no, Lord, which is in essence a contradiction of words, right? If Jesus is Lord, then you cannot say no, right? You can say no friend. You could say no son, no daughter, no boss, but you cannot say no, Lord. If you say no, then it reveals what he truly is or what he's not. He's not Lord. You see, compare Cornelius's response, verse four, when the Lord shows up or this angel shows up, he says, what is it, Lord? Versus this disciple, verse 14, where he says, by no means, Lord, after this vision. And his excuse is this, is that he hasn't ever eaten anything unclean. But what does the Lord reveal in this moment? What he reveals is this, is that you and I, Peter, you don't get to determine what is unclean and clean. God does. This is Jesus in the gospels where he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, yet you don't do what I say? And point number three, our last one, is this, that the gospel is about Jesus Christ being Lord. The gospel is this, that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's king. He's supreme over all, except Peter is not acknowledging that, right? This is the, this is the Peter from the gospels that we know that's, that's piping up, that's saying things that going, I'll never deny you. It's going, listen, why are you washing my feet? You're not going to wash my feet, right? This is, this is reverting back to old Peter where he's going, by no means, Lord, am I going to do that. I've never done it. You see, how often are we like Peter in this situation? Or with our lips, we'll go, yes, I, I, I love you, Lord. Like there was a song that we used to sing way back in the day. Some of you will know it, right? Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, amen. Right, you remember that song? Like we'd sing it, and then how would we go on living our lives? No, Lord, no, Lord, right? Like we would not submit the sum total of our lives to King Jesus. The gospel is this, that Jesus Christ is King and Lord and that in this beautiful grace, he allows us the opportunity to submit to him, to submit to the beauty of how he operates, to how he calls us, which is the fullness of life that John 10, 10 talks about. And so get this, Peter's vision has two points. The first is this, the food laws are fulfilled and ended in Jesus, period. And the second point, the people they, that kept you separate from the nations, the Gentiles, are not to be considered unclean or common 
any longer. Jesus is clarifying that this gospel is for all tribes, all nations, all tongues. A question, are we pliable, moldable, to the commands of the Lord and the leading of the Holy Spirit? Right, we're not going to pause and answer that question, but just think about it as, as you sit there, as you, as you watch this. Are you really surrendered to Jesus as king? Jesus as Lord? Listen, in this season, we have a unique opportunity to listen, to be still, that, that the Lord and the Holy Spirit is speaking all the time. He's leading, and he's leading many of us into those areas that before, like Peter, we were absolutely uncomfortable in going. And some of you in this season, maybe not verbally have said this, but with your actions and with your hearts, you have said, by no means, Lord. By no means am I going to do that. By no means am I going to give that up. By no means am I, am I, am I, am I going that way. And the Lord is graciously beckoning and calling you like he is with Peter. And notice that it says here that this happened how many times? Three times. That the repetition for Peter is once again three times. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. How many times did Jesus, when he shows up to Peter after the resurrection, ask him, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Yes, three times. And once again, to convey this beautiful picture of the gospel to Peter, it shows up three times. And so let's finish this text here in verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, again, the spirit is showing up again to Peter here. Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guess. Now we're going we're gonna to leave it there and that's going to be the end of, as far as we go in the text. You can read ahead obviously but the question is does Peter go? There's hesitation here. We can see it. He says with, with hesitation he, he, he does these things. With a, with, 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 with a slowness and also even after the Lord shows up and the Holy Spirit is speaking he still asks these men, what are you doing? What, 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 do, you, what do you have for me? Do you sense Peter's reluctance? Do you see Peter digging in his heels? He knows what God's calling him to. He knows that he is to share and proclaim the gospel with all nations, beginning here with this Roman centurion Cornelius. Reminds us of an Old Testament prophet. And kids, maybe you can help your parents out with this one. An Old Testament prophet who was resistant to sharing to a non-Jewish group of people the grace of God. He was on a boat. He was swallowed by a whale, right? You got it? Yeah, okay. Jonah, he did not want to go to the Ninevites. He did not want the Ninevites to hear the message of forgiveness to them. He did not want God to overlook or pass by the judgment that they so deserved. 
This is Peter's heart. It's interesting we see in the scriptures, in the Gospel of Mark particularly, that Peter's name, Simon Peter, the son or of Bar-Jonah, the son of Jonah. Now, I don't know if that has any more significance than it just being interesting. But the picture here is like the one we found in Jonah when we preached through that. That what God is doing is he's breaking up the soil of Peter's heart, of Jonah's heart, with his grace so that he will be a faithful witness to all people. That the grace of God is calling us to break up, that the Holy Spirit is breaking up the soil of our hearts. And one of the greatest pictures of the beauty of King Jesus is that in him, every tribe, every tongue, every race has access to the throne of God through Jesus Christ. That in the kingdom of God, there is no room for prejudice. There is no room for racism. That the door to all people has been thrown open by our King. And here's what our king does, like what he's doing here graciously with Peter is that he invites, no, no, he calls deeper. He commands us to take the gospel as faithful witnesses to all people, to the ends of the earth. That's what he's doing here. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of the gospel that liberates us from ourselves that even as Christ followers, you shake and shape us, you rid us of those, of those areas that we are holding onto so tightly, the prejudices, the, 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 God, even the bias that we have. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would reveal those so that we might repent and live lives of faithful witnesses of the kingdom of God to all people. Lord, forgive us for those areas we have harbored in our hearts and in our minds. Oh Lord, I pray for us as the Parks Church in this season and in this time that we would be proclaimers of the gospel to all nations, that we wouldn't lax back in this and become so self-focused and, and so introspective, but we would see the outworking of the gospel even in this season to the ends of the earth. Help us see our part and participation in that. God, create in us a faithfulness. Create in us a hunger and an appetite for your kingdom to come. And until that day where it comes fully and finally, let us be faithful witnesses for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.